Good morning, Westmobile. How's everybody doing this morning? There we go. A little livelier than the 8, 8.30 crowd. Okay. Y'all need, you know what? You need to start coming to 8.30 and just blast them with that. And Whoa, what just happened? You know, that was fun. No, it's an honor to be back here this year. Uh, for those of you who don't know me again, my name is Brian Drake. Now, I do live here in Mobile, but my wife and I, we travel all across the country, across the world, sharing the gospel, doing illusions, which you'll get to see some of that tonight if you're at the uh, the trick, you know, the thing. I, I'm not going to mess it up if I say it. So. Look, every church has got a different name for it, and I mess it up every time, everywhere I go. And I'd hate to give, you know, Cottage Hill credit or something this morning. But it is my pleasure to be here with y'all this morning. We're going to look at one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and that's the benefit of being a guest speaker. He could be in the middle of the sermon series, and I could just get to wreck it and just come in with whatever I want to talk about. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about this. This is one of my favorite passages. One of my pastors recently preached this, and I told him yesterday, I said, hey, I'm definitely stealing a couple of your ideas, just so you know. He's like, that's fine. I stole them, too. I was like, good. Okay, as long as we're in the clear. But just to kind of give you a recap, for those of you who do know us and those of you who don't know us, um, we have been traveling this year. It's been a busy, busy, busy year uh, all over the place. And I just got to, not, I just did a tour in Indiana. It was 18 days straight in Indiana. There was not a lot to do in Indiana. I'm just saying. It was like, Oh, wow, there's more corn. Okay, cool, there's corn. But we got to share the gospel up there. It's, I think we saw like 16 students come to know Christ, or just people in general. But also, what was really great, we had a lot of good gospel conversations afterwards. So we went to the Indiana University and did a show there, and afterwards, a, a Hindu student came up and talked to me. And we had this long kind of back-and-forth conversation about, you know, what is truth and how, how I can be assured of, you know, God's goodness and all that sort of stuff and just how can I be assured that I'm right or not that I'm right that, that God is right you know and so it was a really good conversation I don't know where he's at today but I do know that some seeds were definitely planted so that was really exciting earlier in the year I got to go to Guatemala for a week which was awesome I've been four times but this was different I went down there and uh, the guy who I was going with he, he lives down there but he um had us do a hundredth anniversary at the seminary down there. And that blows my mind. Think about it. For a hundred years, there's been gospel work right there in this tiny town of Chimaltenango, Guatemala. I got to catch up with one of my friends, uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But it's just been a really busy year. And so thank you for those who have supported us through the years, as just in general. But um, So that's kind of where we've been and what we've been doing. So today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. Page is turning. I like that. It's a good sound. Luke chapter 15, and this is the story of the prodigal son, and words matter. The, the, in, the intention and the meaning of words are important. They're not just random, right? And so the word prodigal is one of those things that we sometimes we lose sight of what it totally means. Yes, he's the guy who leaves, right? The prodigal son is the one who leaves home, goes off, but what he does is he excessively, wantonly, or just excessively over the top spends all his money, and that's really where the word prodigal comes from. It means this excessive living, right? So Luke chapter 15, we'll start right there in verse 11. And it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Little nugget there, by the way. Means the older brother got his money too, just because of the younger brother being a punk. Um, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And then he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I'll arise, I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And this, is, this to me is the best part of this story. And it's just my favorite, one of my favorite passages in scripture. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him, kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray really quick. God, just thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you just speak through me in this morning, Lord, that the word said that everything done will be for your glory. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Many of you have felt betrayal like this before. Now think about it. This son walks up to his dad one day, and he goes, Hey, you know what? I've been doing some thinking. You're better off to me dead. So can you just kind of like give me that money now? That's a pretty terrible thing, right? I have two daughters, and right now they're nine and five. So the only thing I have to worry about is like just all sorts of craziness from them. I'm pretty sure my one has rabies, though. I'm pretty sure she's, she is a wild child, right? But... If one of them one day was to look at me and be like, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, it would crush me, right? And that changed when I became a father. Like, it's not something you really, you know it, but you don't experience it until you become a parent. And so if one of my children said this to me, it would be crushing. It would just be the worst, right? What I, some of you have lost people like that before. Maybe in a different way. Maybe you've lost someone who you loved who was just, you know, they passed away. I mentioned my friend in Guatemala. He was a missionary from here. And he was living in Guatemala since 2017. Well, about four weeks ago, he was murdered. My, my very close friend was murdered. And what happened was they were just watching Alabama football on the mountaintop. Somebody walked up, two guys with masks, said, hey, give us money. He got his kids in the house really quick. They fired once, and he died a couple days later in the hospital. But what, I, what kills me is this is probably what the mindset of the father was. And many of you have experienced this. Something really funny will happen. Something great will happen, and you want to share it. And you go to pull out your phone, to call that person or text that person. I did this just the other night. It just, look, I don't, I'm like a robot emotionally, except for humor. That's the only one I have. But I, I haven't cried as an adult ever, hardly, except this. And I, when I pulled out my phone, I was like, man, I can't do that. He's gone, right? And that father probably felt that. Like, oh man, my son is gonna, he's gone. He left, right? That feeling of heartbreak, that loss, that betrayal. I remember the biggest betrayal that ever happened to me. And it was very personal. In 1996, July, I'm watching my hero on the big TV, Hulk Hogan, right? The man. And macho man Randy Savage is in the ring, and he's been beaten up by this vicious NWO, the Outsiders. And here he comes. He's coming to the ring. I'm like, go get him, Hulk. And all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan drops the leg on macho man Randy Savage and betrayed me to my core. I was crushed. That might have been the last time I cried before that, right? But anyway... <laughs> That feeling of betrayal is so visceral. It's like, oh, I can't believe they would do that. But we see that is not the father's attitude. The father's attitude is much different. And it's pretty interesting to see that. So he says, hey, Dad, why don't you give me all that money right now? I'm just going to leave. Right? So he goes off. And what's funny, he says he goes to the far country. And this is the piece that I took from my pastor. Uh, and I told him I was going to take it, like I said. But he said, it doesn't matter how far the son went. He, he could have gone two towns over. 
He could have gone to Egypt. He could have gone anywhere. And we know this is a parable, so most likely this is something Jesus is just using to illustrate rather than these two people being actual people there. I mean, they may have been, but the point is, he said the, the distance to the far country is not measured in miles, it's measured in morals. And I was like, man, that's really good. See, it doesn't matter how far physically he was from his father. He was worlds apart morally, worlds apart spiritually from his father. And he was in really dire shape. Now, he had a lot of friends when he had money. You've all been there. You got everybody, you know, something happens, you come into some money, people are like, hey man, I haven't seen you in a while. How's it going? You ever see like when athletes get signed, all of their friends and cousins are showing up? It's like, wait, who are you? It's like, well, I heard you were on the NFL now, so I figured I'd be back. But when you have money, you are popular. But as soon as that money runs out, hey, where'd everybody go? Where's my friends? They're gone. They're not really your friends. They're just using you, right? And that's what happens to this, this kid. Well, I say kid, this young man, right? He wastes his money, and he's got nothing. And because he wasted it in a prodigal, wanton nature, a famine hits, and he's got no food. Starving. Now, this is where Jesus does a little shock value for the story, and I like that. Jesus was an amazing storyteller, the best, right? But he puts a little shock value in here because he's talking to people who are Jewish. And to illustrate how low and how dead and how gone this son was, he places him in the story. Not only do we see around pigs, because we know Jewish people don't touch pigs at all. Not only was he caring for pigs, he was feeding pigs. And then the worst part, when Jesus has the shock value, he goes, he was so hungry, he wanted to eat the pig slop. Now look, there are a few words that are accurate in how they sound, how they look, how they, it's just a funny looking word, slop, right? There's a reason. You ever seen pig food? It's amazing. It's the best. Gordon Ramsay would be like, oh, that's perfect. I love it. No, it's disgusting, right? It's the leftovers. How many of y'all have ever done this? You get home from a trip and you go, oh man, those potatoes definitely went bad while we were here. Here, put that in the trash can. That has got to go outside to, the, to that bigger trash. And you forget. And you wake up next morning, you're like, oh my gosh, it is a napalm bomb of stink in this house right now, all right? But then you go, huh, you know what though? I was going to have toast and eggs for breakfast, but that looks pretty tasty, right? No, that's what pig slop is. Pig slop is whatever's left over. Hey, give me half your hamburger. Here's a, here's a half a donut. Here's an apple core. Here's whatever else we found. And we put it in a bucket and we go slop the pigs, right? That's how you'd have to say it, right? Slop them, because that's what it sounds like to me. It's gross. And Jesus is showing this to illustrate that this guy is so desperate He's about to eat pig slop. And so the picture of the prodigal son is interesting because a lot of times we construe it as someone who leaves their faith or leaves their upbringing. And that's one way to look at it. But the most important way to that this is illustrated is this is the picture of humanity. First, we were created. Then we rebelled. And that's what happens. He rebels against his father. And he is so far gone from his father that he, he realizes it, though. Then he has a realization that, hey, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got an idea. I can go back home, and I'm aware that I messed up, but I can tell my dad, you know what, I'm sorry. I've sinned. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Can I just work for you? I just want to be around you, right? Because he realized at his father's house, there was everything, everything he could have wanted, all the food, all the friends, all the clothes, everything, right? And he goes, you know what, I'm going back home, even if I'm just a hired servant. And when it talks about hired servants here, something else I picked up was that these are day laborers. 
Meaning they just showed up for the day, get hired, and would go home. So he's literally coming back in the lowest position he can at his father's house. Now, I think about this too, the father's reaction. This is, this is the part that gets me. This is where the swelling orchestral music would happen in the movie, and it would be great, right? But this is the reason why, well, in my opinion, the song Reckless Love, even though it's, it gets beat up on a lot, and I agree probably for, for right reason. But here's what it's talking about in this aspect. Dignified men do not run. They just don't. You never see Vince McMahon or somebody run through a building. Well, okay, he did, but that was different because he's a character. But you ever see like Donald Trump running somewhere, right? You ever see Bill, you know, Elon Musk is not just sprinting to go get to the front of the buffet line. It's not a thing they do, you know what I'm saying? But this means as a dignified man with his robes and everything like that, he would have had to have grabbed his robes up above his knees where he could run and not trip. That is a silly picture. It looks ridiculous. And yet, that's what the father does. He pulls those robes up and he sprints to his son. Now, our reaction is probably a lot of times like the other brother. <sighs> Look at this guy showing back up. But that's not what happens. Think about how many times the father probably looked for his son. How many times he thought, man, maybe today's the day. Maybe today. You've probably got family members like this that you think about. And maybe today's the day they're going to call me and say, hey, you were right. I need Jesus. Hey, you were right. I need to get away from this lifestyle. Hey, you were right. I need to stop doing this. You're just waiting for that call. Waiting for that call. And it just hasn't come yet. How many times did he go and look for his son and think, maybe tomorrow. And then the father sees him. And I love that picture of him running to his son. Now here's the other thing. Pig slop, not a really clean work. Right? Nobody is wearing their best suit to slop pigs. Not the sanitariest thing. That's not a word, but whatever, you know. Not the most sanitary thing either. Pretty smelly. Probably not a lot of barbers around who are cutting pig slopper's hair. So he sees this shape coming back. Just nasty, dirty, stinky. And most of the time, our reaction, even if we're in the father's mindset, would be, oh, whoa, hey, uh, Good to see you, buddy. Uh, you go get in that tub first, and we'll get you cleaned up first. Then you can come back in the house. That's not what happens. The father runs to him and embraces his smelly, dirty son. He hugs him. He says, get some shoes on his feet. Get the best robe. Get the ring. Put it on his finger. My son who was dead is now alive. I love that. It's such a pretty picture. And it shows that the father is just as excessive in his giving as the boy was in his spending. The father's gifts are so numerous for us, and he's holding them out to us. He's waiting for us. All we have to do is take it. But I think about the second part of this story is where it takes a plot twist. It gets a little uncomfortable, right? You got the other brother, me. Actually, I'm the younger brother, but in the story, you know what I mean. This is my attitude a lot of times, and I hate that it's my attitude, but it's subconscious sometimes. See, in the front of my mind, I know Jesus can change everything, everybody. But at the back of my mind, I see people on TV or social media, and I go, not that one. God will never change that person. God will never change them. They'll never be different. They'll never leave that. They'll never stop. And it's always just gnawing in the back of my mind sometimes. Except he changed me. 
And he changed the apostle Paul, right? So look at the brother's attitude first. He says, now his oldest son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Notice the, uh, the, the nouns there, your brother and your father, right? He says, your brother has come back. And, and his father came out, and he, oh wait, hang on, sorry, I jumped down. And he said to him, your brother's come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered to his father, look at these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to his son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate, because for your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and he's found. Now this also, this is a subtle thing that Jesus is doing too, shot at the Pharisees he's talking to. Think about this. They all knew the law. They were the best of the best. They had like phylacteries on their forehead. That's a $50 word for you. Just, it was like a little box they would wear scrolls on. So people would look at them and go, that's a super Christian without the cape. Although they did have the ropes and the little breastplate of stuff the priest did. So it's kind of like a super Christian. Yeah, or not Christian at this time. Super godly, right? Those dudes know it. They've got it all going on. And yet Jesus constantly said, you're dead on the inside. You're like whitewashed tombs filled with death. You look good on the outside. You don't even know me. So these Pharisees who were standing here listening to him talk about the son go, wait a minute, we've been in God's favor since the beginning of our creation. Uh, he's always delivered us. We've always had the law, but we don't know him. You wonder how many had that reaction. You, know, you wonder about Nicodemus, you wonder about Joseph of Arimathea. These are guys who were that, but also loved Jesus. And you go, okay, how many of them came away and had that reaction. We don't know, but it's just an interesting point to think about. But I think about that brother and how angry he gets. But then you look back. Imagine you're a first century Christian. It is like 35 AD, depending on how the math and timing works right there. You're sitting down at synagogue, and all of a sudden, I guess we'll call it 37, Paul walks in, and you go, honey, where's the security team? We better get the security team. Come on, let's go. Because that's the guy who was killing Christians. Killing them. Rounding them up. Keeping a tally. Probably had like a, like a Johnny Ringo sort of like belt buckle sort of deal. You know what I'm saying? Like he was all bad. And he shows up at your church. And I guarantee you many of us, myself included, would have the reaction to that other brother. Yeah, right. There's no chance that he's a changed man. This is ridiculous, Father. What do you do? Why would you show him grace? I'll tell you what, I'm glad he showed me grace. I'm glad he showed me his mercy because I don't deserve it. But those people that I think about, it's amazing how easy it is for this to be our attitude. You see someone who's had a change of heart, a change in their life, and in the back of your mind you go, that won't stick. When students come home from camp, they used to call it the camp high, right? You want to be around Jesus. You want to talk about Jesus. And in the back of your mind, you go, yeah, but in two weeks, I'll be back to doing what they were doing. Instead of coming along beside them and encouraging them, right? Coming along beside them and be like, hey, tell me about camp. 
Tell me about D-Now. Tell me what y'all did. And how can we take what you did at D-Now, at camp, at whatever event you go to. I saw there's the men's conference coming up. Um, whatever that is. And how can we apply that to your daily life every single day where you are living with a kingdom mindset in everything you do? That's what we call vocation. Um, we read a book in college. It's called God at Work. And the idea was that it's easy to look at people like myself and Pastor Kevin on stage and go, well, that's their job. And forget that every one of us is called to share the gospel everywhere we go. With everybody. Because here's the truth. I don't know your people. You don't know my people. I don't know your coworkers. I may never meet your coworkers. I tell people all the time at shows that, hey, I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow and I'm going to go home. That person who's sitting next to you in math class next week is going to look at you and go, hey, why are you always doing this Jesus stuff? Why are you always in church? Hey, how come you had that reaction to this bad situation in your life? And I tell them the easiest thing in the world is to go, I don't know, eh, I don't know, and just brush it off. The hardest thing is to have that boldness to go, hey, let me tell you what God's done in my life and what he can do in your life. But I also wonder, maybe this reaction would have been different had he had all the information, right? Look at what the servant tells him. He says, hey, uh, your, your, your brother's back and your father had a party. Now, there's some details missing out of there that he didn't tell his other brother, right? The servant, maybe if he just said, listen, dude, you're not going to believe this. Your brother came up, came back looking like a zombie, looked terrible, right? And your father heard him say, hey, I've sinned against you. And he cut him off. He, he didn't even let him finish. He sinned against you, and he gave him the best, and he was, he was sorry. I wonder if the brother's reaction would have been different, because I'll be honest, as a husband, I have had multiple things that I caused Tiffs, we'll call them, because I didn't have all the information. And I had to go, hey, I'm really sorry about that. I wish I'd have known that before I said something dumb, right? It's one of those things. We can all relate. You've gotten into a fight for bad information before and had to go, dog, sorry. So I wonder about that. But here's what I look. Here's what I love at the end of this. You see he's returned, and you see he's restored. But he came with the intention of, Dad, can I just work for you? To being restored as a son, how amazing is it to know that the God who created the universe, how amazing and marvelous he is to create such an amazing place. And even though we're sinners, spitting in his face saying, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Like the son said, you're basically dead to me. All you're good for is what you can give me. And even though we're just the same in our rebellious sin nature, it says God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the amazing love of the Father. But here's the thing. I know what you're thinking. Not because I'm a mentalist. That's all fake. But what you're thinking is, wait a minute, I don't have a testimony though. I can't, I wasn't, I didn't go to 12 different high schools my senior year and was in drugs and alcohol, this sort of stuff. I don't, I can't, nobody's want to hear my story. And I think it's because we don't realize how lost we are without Jesus. See, my, my story is I was raised in church. Like, I knew all the answers. I knew what you were supposed to do. I remember playing, like, hangman on the board, whatever you could fill in the word. I don't know what you can call it anymore, but fill in the word on the thing. And it was, it was clearly Romans 3.23. Like, there were no blanks. And I just went, oh, yes, yeah, it's Romans 3.23. And she's like, because <sighs> there was a lot of blanks that she had to put up there. I knew it. I knew the answers, man. I could be like, yeah, talking donkey. Got it. David and Goliath. 
hit him in the head with a stone. Then cut his head off. But y'all didn't know. Some people didn't know that, right? Because my little, little Bible story, for some reason, the little cutesy Bible books, they don't have that part where he cuts his head off and parades it through the town. I suppose that would scare some of the children, but it's, it's, the details are there. I'm just saying. So I knew the answers. I knew what you were supposed to say, but I didn't realize until I was 15 years old that this stuff I'd been hearing, it wasn't just for you and you and you and you. It was for me. I needed this. I needed Jesus. I told the first service that the hardest places we go to do ministry are not places like Guatemala. They're not places like um, rural towns. They're actually places like Austin, Texas, and Nashville. Places where people don't think they need anything. We had a girl one night at an event who earlier that week, her dad had put her and her friends on a private jet, his private jet, to fly them to a mall elsewhere in another state so that they could buy big expensive stuff to go to camp with and fly back. How am I going to tell that girl, hey, you need Jesus, by the way. She says, wow, I've got everything I need. It's because we don't realize our need and our desperation in sin. Think about it. What I, what I try, to, try to illustrate in colleges and places like that, I say, you can pretend that you're holding a camera, right? And you look out in this universe, you see the amazing creation that God has made. Like last night, anybody see the full moon in Jupiter? It's pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah, thank you, sir, me and you. This is just us. Anyway, it was cool. You could see Jupiter, then there was a, like, it looked like a star, but it was a giant planet. The biggest planet in our solar system, but anyway. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. Then you, we went to the Grand Canyon a few years ago, and you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's just awesome, truly awe-inspiring. You're like, wow, this is incredible. You can take a microscope and look inside at the cells that run your body and see how God has orchestrated them and put them together in such a way that it's so incredible. So, but then we can look also and see that there's some terrible things that happen on this planet terrible things, what people do to other people. And inside of us, we cry out, that's wrong. There's something wrong with that. But then if we turn that camera back in on ourselves, there are days, moments, times we wish we could expunge from our record. And if there's no God, there's no hope for that. That is who you are. You are your worst day. However, the Father sees us and runs to us and embraces us and says, you're not going to work for me. You're my son. You're my child. There are many of you who have someone in your life like this, and you're waiting. And my encouragement is just to keep at it. Keep praying. Because God may deliver them. Here's the other problem, though. We don't know the end of the story. He may deliver that person in your life. He may not. But it doesn't change God's goodness. See, when that guy was in a famine and when he had plenty of money, it doesn't change the Father's goodness. And that's so hard for us to realize sometimes. I struggle with this. I told you all last year how Carla went through having thyroid cancer. There were many nights where I laid my head on my pillow and be like, God, what's the deal? Why? Why is this happening? But it didn't change his goodness. I think... The three types of people we have in this story, you've got the two sons and then the father. Some people in this room might be in the boat of that first son. You're lost. You need Jesus. And there's not a thing in this world that can save you except Jesus. Look, the other son tries to stand on his record. He's like, Dad, I've always been with you. I, I'm, I'm your guy. I never left. I've done all the right things. His record is not going to save him either. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe there's some people you need to forgive 
or apologize to. I would encourage you not to let that fester and just grow in you and become bitterness. Because again, I can't pick up my phone and call my friend again. He's gone. That time has passed. There may be a chance that you can apologize and make something right. There may may be a chance that you can't. It's too late. So I would encourage you, if there's a situation like that, make it right. Forgive somebody. Apologize to somebody. And the third thing is that kingdom mindset the Father has, right? My encouragement today, not my encouragement, Scripture's encouragement, is to be kingdom-minded. One of my favorite sermons of all time, and he's not even my favorite preacher, I just, it's a great sermon. 2000, I believe it was, Passion One Day, John Piper gets up and he gives one of the best sermons of all. It gets a little, it gets a little wild at the end, a little hairy at the end, it's like 40 minutes long, I mean, come on. But uh, no, the beginning of it, though, he talks about a wasted life. And that is a tragedy. He talks about, he prints an article up from Reader, Reader's Digest, as he says, just like that. He says that there's a story about this couple who retired early, live on a yacht, and have a beautiful seashell collection. He said, that is a tragedy of a wasted life. He said, they're doing nothing, kingdom work. And then he talks about two, uh, two old missionary, elder missionary ladies who were killed doing mission work. Their bus ran off the edge of the road or something like that. And he says... That is how our kingdom mindset should be. The, the, the tragedy is not those two ladies who had done kingdom work and got to meet their maker and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. See, the tragedy would be the one who says, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get to it later. My friend at work has been asking me questions. We'll get to that. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. So my encouragement this morning, as we get ready to close here, is which one of these people are you in this story? Are you that brother who's lost? You're putting it off. You say, God, I don't know. Listen, the best news of all time is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, that free gift of grace has been extended to you. And you can respond to it in faith, just like Ephesians 2 says. Before Christ, we're dead. Nothing we can do about it. But in him, we've been made alive. It says, but God the greatest twist in the scripture. You're dead, you're helpless, there's nothing you can do, but God, he can. Maybe the other brother, maybe you need to forgive somebody today. Or maybe you're doing kingdom work. Keep at it. Tonight's a great opportunity. You're going to have a lot of people in here who don't go to church anywhere. They have no background. All they know is their kids are getting candy. And that there's a, a place here that's really cool that's putting it on. So, my encouragement as a musician comes which one of these are you? So let me ask you a question. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. Let me ask you a simple question. How many of you in here would say, you know what? I am a follower of Jesus. Not like trying on a shirt, not like flavor of the week, but he is my king and my Lord. If that's you, slip up your hand. No one's looking around. Hey, thanks for your honesty. Let me ask you a second simple question. Because that one was a gimme. Is there anybody in here who would say, you know what? I, I don't know Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus. If that's you, slip up your hand. No one's looking around. Hey, thank you for your honesty. You say, okay, but Brian, how do you do that then? What's the, what's the best way? Well, there's only one way. And here's the coolest part. There's no fee you got to pay. 
There's no test you've got to take. It's receiving his free gift of grace by faith. And you can do that today. After this is over, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pass it over to Pastor Kevin. You can do that today. And there's nothing weird, nothing crazy. They're going to pray with you and then they're going to celebrate with you just like this father. This son of mine was dead, but he's been made alive. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to be here. Lord, for who you are, for your love for us. But I thank you for what's going to happen tonight, God. Just be with us and bless us. It helps to be obedient to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.